welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Wow, that was fun. Unexpected, obviously. Well, our scripture reading, before I get to that, it's uh, John 17, if you want to start flipping to it. John 17, verses 1 through 3. But before we get into that, I want to echo what was stated early on, that the next several weeks, uh, as has been the case the past several weeks, my invitation to you is to enter this room, come into this space, and that one of the last things on your mind would be, oh, I wonder what he or she or whomever is going to talk about today. I get it. That's part of what we do here. But I want to keep encouraging, increasingly encouraging us to come into this space uh, willing to listen and all that, but with far more important things that we're thinking about. Like, what is God up to in me? What's he inviting me to today? How does he want me to participate in the life of my church family in this shared space that we're in today? What is all of this inviting me to do? What are these stations in the back? I'd like us to increasingly come in a mindset of being priests to each other and pastors to each other. And who is God routing in front of me so that I can be their priest or their pastor and offer a word of encouragement, offer a prayer for them, simply ask them the question, how are you doing? And actually pay attention and listen when they answer. And as this happens and as we learn how to be priests together and we're willing to move, we're willing to bounce around, we're not needing to sit still, if you will. God shows up in ways that are indescribable and inexpressible. So you'll see up front, there is this marvelous display Angela has made in the back. There are stations. These stations will be here throughout this series. The stations are designed for you to be able to engage, to participate, to move, to respond. And this time today, we're asking for you to go back. There's a little question on the table and for you to write out your answer. And at some point, feel free to do it while I'm talking. Any other time during the service, before or after the service, come forward and put it in the box. Obviously, today is Epiphany Sunday. We reflect and celebrate Jesus being revealed to the world, and in particular, to the Magi who came to see him. And he continues to reveal himself to the world, and in many ways, we are going to dive in and talk about that. So our scripture reading is from John 17, and it is verses 1 through 3. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'm supposed to say you may be seated, but you are, so I won't say it. John 17, verses 1 through 3. The day after Christmas, seven of us were flying to Phoenix to spend the day with my brother and his family and my dad, and we were flying southwest. Uh-huh. 
If you've been following, which you clearly have, you know this is, uh, you know where this is heading. So we were backing out of the driveway, and this alert came up on my phone that said our flight was canceled. So the seven of us gathered up, brainstormed, and after brainstorming, at two in the afternoon, we hopped into two cars and began the 11 and a half hour drive to Phoenix. We figured with stops and whatever else, 12 and a half other interruptions, we figured maybe 13. But something happened on the way to Phoenix. Let's just call it the most head-splitting traffic in the history of driving since driving was invented. <laughs> Unbelievable. We went long stretches on I-5, barely moving. At one point, not to be crass or disparaging, I had this little kind of joke in my head of, I wish I had a walker because I'd get next to these cars and shuffle by them and they'd all be sitting there and I'd be a mile in front of them. That's how slow it was. Long stretches, barely moving. Even longer stretches of just inching along five, maybe 10 miles an hour. Now and then we would get this opening where things would kind of free up and we'd make some real progress toward Phoenix. But for the most part, it was an annoyingly slow process. There were times when we were just plain stuck. There was literally no movement. We were on I-5 in the middle of nowhere with no way to get unstuck. Just to kind of further expand the image, we got to the grapevine around 9 p.m. So it took us about seven hours to go from here to this side, our side of the grapevine. And all you could see when we got to the grapevine was a line of barely moving cars snaking their way up the hill and into the grapevine. This was going to continue for another couple hours. It's quite a picture. A whole bunch of us heading for some destination, but barely moving, stuck with no way, no idea how to get unstuck. Something about a traffic jam on I-5 on the way to Phoenix that resonates with me as I think about my life and my relationship with Jesus. Hopefully, I'm moving towards some destination in my life with God. Christ being formed in me is how the Apostle Paul describes the destination of every Christian. Living an eternal kind of life is how Jesus describes the destination in our reading. This is eternal life, he says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 1 through 3. Jesus is giving a crystal clear explanation of eternal life. And it is probably very much unlike what comes to our minds when we hear the phrase eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is, these are his words, knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, not knowing things about Jesus Christ, but knowing him. We might wrap it all in the word relationship. So Jesus is saying eternal life is about a quality of life 
right now, not just a quantity of life after we die. Eternal life, then, is about an ongoing, interactive relationship with God right now. In other places, Jesus says it this way, very simply, very short, the kingdom of God is near. Might seem a little odd to us. What's he getting at there? We're going to press into this more deeply next week. But he says it in other places. The kingdom of God is near. God's presence, the eternal, that word again, God, his presence and reign and guidance is near, close, available, in and through the person of Jesus, and we can access it through him. And as we do this, Jesus himself will guide us into what is good and beautiful and fulfilling. Thinking of eternal life the the way Jesus thinks about it drastically changes the impact of the most familiar verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you can probably sense already how your thoughts, your feelings, your conditioning instantly want to interpret eternal life as life forever after we die instead of a forever kind of life before we die. But a forever kind of life before we die is exactly how Jesus defines eternal life. And his 33-year existence on this planet is the perfect example of what an eternal kind of life looks like and can be like. And so the Bible vividly depicts our life with God as this dynamic relationship where his life and character increasingly shapes and reshapes our lives and character. Not in a heavy-handed, do more kind of way, be more kind of way, but as we gradually abide in Jesus, John 15 And learn his unforced rhythms of grace, Matthew 11, we are changed. We are converted, we might say. We are transformed from the inside out. And every feature of our being is altered and remade by this transformation. Our will changes. Slowly, gradually, with setbacks, of course. But our will changes and we begin to choose differently. Our thoughts and our feelings, what the Bible calls our mind, that so often is the starting point, the first domino of gazillions of our responses and reactions. Our thoughts and our feelings and how we respond to these things change. Our character changes. Anger, lust Worry, fear, impatience, self-orientation, insecurity are gradually over time transformed into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, other-centeredness, humility. 
all by the work of God's Holy Spirit within us. Our bodies actually are changed. Our relationships are changed. Our souls are changed. Setbacks occur, of course. Our old self dies hard and seems to have, oh, I don't know, 9,000 lives. But an eternal kind of life starts to grow in us. I don't know about you, but just working on this, and here I am talking about it's compelling. It's enticing. It's getting at something that I think we want gotten at deep within us. The series we are starting today is called The Eternal Kind of Life. And it is designed, this series is designed to help us move toward the destination of Christ being formed in us. Inner transformation by God's Holy Spirit. The eternal kind of life. And yet, I wonder if at least some of us feel like our life with God is often stuck in a barely moving traffic jam. And we have no idea how to get unstuck. It's jammed up. Dull. Not much to write home about. It's really not going anywhere. It's stagnant. Our life and our relationship with God is stuck. And we have no idea how to keep moving toward the beautiful destination of Jesus' life and character, shaping and reshaping our lives and our character. I know I say this too often, but I am really stoked about this series we're beginning today. It was designed to help us get unstuck. It was designed to help us get back on the road toward the destination of Jesus' life and character where his life and character is shaping and reshaping our lives and character. And my job today is to introduce the series, which is a fancy way of saying I get to wander off and talk about whatever I want to. To try to give us a vision of where we're heading over the next several weeks. My job is to whet your appetite. If you leave here today with any sort of thought that goes anything like this, you know, I don't know if I believe that knucklehead. But there's something about that I find compelling. Then I've done what I'm setting out to do. My job is to challenge you to participate in what we're going to do for the next several weeks. Because over the next several weeks, we're going to ask you to incorporate some practices into your everyday life to help you get unstuck. And I want to challenge you not to see them, get them, hand them out. That's nice. That's that card. Boom, it sits over here. And a week later, when you're walking by that place again, oh, yeah, that thing. I want to challenge you not to do that. We're going to ask you to move and engage, and take risks in here and away from here, try some different things, experiment. So I want to start by telling you two of the reasons why I am so stoked about this series. And as you've already seen and you will continue to see, this is extraordinarily personal to me. I care about this, like way down deep. Because it was things like what we are about to dive into that changed my life, rerouted me, and are the reason why I'm still a pastor today. You're going to feel a lot of me 
in this, and you're feeling that on purpose, because I'm going to talk a bit about myself, because this is personal to me. The first reason I'm stoked is because for the past 22 and a half years, the audacious notion of the availability of an eternal kind of life right now has been at the absolute core of who we are as Oak Hills Church. I won't bore you with the, all the gory details, but 22 and a half years ago, a group of us had a profound experience with God at a weekend retreat up in the mountains. And we came back from that retreat believing God was redirecting us to prioritize life in God's kingdom and the transformation this brings. And that is why when you walk out into that lobby and look across the lobby where the water fountain is, you will see the mission statement over the water fountain that was fashioned and formulated as a result of the experience that happened on that retreat 22 and a half years ago. We came away from that retreat with a fresh perspective of the, on the gospel as an invitation to live an eternal kind of life right now. A life made possible by the life and teaching and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And this new and transforming life is gradually realized. We actualize it as we do our part and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. 22 and a half years ago, we came back from that retreat and we did our best to rearrange our personal lives and our church around this audacious notion of an eternal kind of life available right now. The rearranging process took about 10 years before it seemed like it was in place. Not finished. We're still rearranging. But it took about 10 years before we felt like it was in place. And over those 10 years, and many of you don't know this, but over those 10 years, I'm being low on my count. But over those 10 years, about 1,200 people left Oak Hills Church and never came back. And they left for various reasons. And one of the reasons was because a few of us in leadership, most certainly me, did not lead the change gently or graciously because Jesus' gentleness and graciousness was not in us. Jesus' gentleness and graciousness was not who we were. So because it wasn't in us, it didn't come out of us when the pressure was on. I hope you have gleaned this by being around here, but we are not a church interested in a big show or in a big crowd or an impressive whatever. We're not trying to build a brand We're not trying to build an empire. These gatherings are important to what we do, but they are part of what it means to participate in the life of Oak Hills. These are not the sum total of who and what we are at Oak Hills. See, here at Oak Hills, we are trying to build an eternal kind of community out of people who want to pursue eternal kinds of lives with God's help. Or to borrow from a friend's book, we're trying to prepare people to live forever by helping them live a forever kind of life right now. And that, my friends, is not a small endeavor. 
And it means messy. It means raw. It means bone level authentic. It means sometimes really hard. It means broken, broken, and more broken. It means painful. It often means challenging. And it means inexpressibly good and beautiful. Dallas Willard was one of our friends and mentors through all of the changes that have occurred at Oak Hills over the last 22 and a half years. He's now with Jesus. If you do not know who Dallas Willard is, it does not matter. But his teaching and his writing, and most especially his example, deeply and forever impacted me and many of us here at Oak Hills. Speaking about Jesus coming to earth and living among us, Willard wrote this. He did all this to be with us. You can see this on the screen. He did all this to be with us, to be one of us, to arrange for the delivery of his life to us. It must be no simple thing to make it possible for human beings to receive the eternal kind of life. If he were to come today as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, doctor, waiter, teacher, farmhand, lab technician, or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your educational life prospects, and live within your family, surroundings, and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Our human life, it turns out, is not destroyed by God's life, but is fulfilled in it and in it alone. I don't know about you, but that just awakens and pulls at something in me that I know is not of me. It pulls on the eternity God has placed in me, as Solomon puts it, in Ecclesiastes. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how do we actually grow in this eternal kind of life. That's the first reason I'm stoked. The second reason I'm stoked about this series is because in it, we're going back to the basics and we're revisiting the beauty and the goodness of who God is, who Jesus is, and the beauty and goodness of the life he is inviting us to experience. And yet... The question or the questions that are hard to ask and even harder to answer genuinely are sitting right there. Are we experiencing this life? Are we actually changing as people who are following God? Is my life and character increasingly reflecting the life and character of Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, but I don't want a performance plan. I don't want to feel bad for not doing enough. I got enough of that stored away in the warehouse within my guts to last 10 lifetimes. I don't need any more of that. But is Jesus actually changing me? 
Has the insecurity that paralyzed me 20 years ago quieted down some? Is my anger being converted to patience? Is my fear of loving and being loved giving way to trust in God that he will take care of it, which is having the effect of helping me be more vulnerable to love and to receive love? Is my dis-ease gradually being replaced by his peace? Or let me try it this way. Do we, in the language of John 17, 2 and 3, do we know Jesus intimately, relationally, experientially? Do we hear him speak to us in the Bible or through other people? Do we interact with him about the things that matter to us today? Or do we know about him? Some information about his birth, maybe a few of his sayings. Or we know this thing he died on a cross back then. Or we might have some idea of this Easter thing that he was part of. But we know about. But maybe we don't know him. We believe all these things about Jesus. But our belief resembles our belief in the French Revolution. Yeah. It happened. But it's about it. it. It happened. And just so you know, I'm not excluding myself from the glare of these unsettling questions. It's good for you to know this. You might not like it, but it's good for you to know this. One of the biggest hazards of my profession is that gradually over time, Jesus becomes a specimen to dissect and analyze instead of a person with whom I have a relationship. Eternal life becomes something I talk about without experiencing. So I'm in this with you. Do we approach life as though Jesus is present and active and with us? Or as though Jesus is a feathery religious guru who doesn't have much to do with our everyday lives? I don't want to be crass. I don't want to be silly. But is Jesus practically irrelevant in our everyday lives? Or is he the most interesting man in our world? Fascinating. Insightful. With wisdom. For every single situation you are facing. Not answers. But wisdom. For every situation you and I are facing. What difference has your relationship with Jesus made in your life over the past week or month? How did he affect how you responded in a conflict? How did he affect a decision you made? As you did your life this past week or month, did you occasionally do it consciously aware of Jesus' presence with you? Did you occasionally return to him in your thoughts? Or... Is Jesus not really on your everyday life radar? I ask not to provoke guilt, but to provoke longing. For there's nothing more fulfilling, more joyful, more peace-giving, more life-giving than everyday life 
with God. In all of its twists and turns and doubts and doubts and setbacks and struggles. Frank Laubach said many years ago, if you are weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are. You know, I believe most of us want to grow. We want to see God change our lives and our character. But certain circumstances unfold in our everyday experience, just like they have a million times before. And a familiar chain reaction soon follows. And we act and react and respond the same way we did a million times before, as though there are these well-worn grooves in our inner being that we automatically revisit without having to think about. And the question looms, will we ever change? Can we change? Or to quote from an old movie, is this as good as it gets. Let's talk for a second about the gospel. This is the last thing I want to mention today. This series is predicated upon an understanding of the gospel that may not align with your understanding of the gospel. I realize that sounds arrogant, maybe a little bit scary, so let me try and explain. In the summer of 2000, when this paradigm-shifting God encounter happened, I had been a Christian at that point for 17 years, always part of a church during those 17 years. I'd been a pastor for nine years at that time, and I had spent four years getting a Master's of Divinity degree from a pretty rigorous seminary in the Midwest. I get it, big deal. Stop flouting your resume. I, I, I hate it. But when this encounter with God occurred, my understanding of the gospel was overhauled. It got reworked, refurbished, and rebuilt. And I didn't even realize it needed a tune-up. Up until that point, I thought I had the gospel dialed in. Went something like this. Jesus died for my sins, and I need to trust him to forgive me. And if I do, I will go to heaven after I die. But this was all about to be overhauled and rebuilt. And eventually, in time, I came to realize that I knew part of the gospel. I knew Jesus died for my sins. I knew I needed to trust him to forgive me of my sins. And because I had trust in him, I believed I would have eternal life with him after I died. But my gospel didn't include the eternal life God wanted me to experience before I died. Our gospel often doesn't include this. For whatever reason, in my religious training and experience, that part had been pulled out of the gospel and placed in an optional category called discipleship, or sanctification. And if I wanted that, I could surely go for that, but it was an optional add-on to the gospel. It was the leather seat option in the new car. You can get it if you want it, but if you don't get it, you can still have the car. So up until that point, the good news of Jesus had much to say to me about my sin and about forgiveness and about life after death, but it didn't have much to say to me about life before death. Well, over the last 22 and a half years, I continue to thank God for good news about my sin and about forgiveness and about the hope of eternal life after death, but also about the hope and beauty of eternal life before death. The ongoing transformation of a friend I have known 
since I was a young boy. The friend's name is Anger. And another friend I've known many, many years. He, too, is in the process of being transformed. His name is Shame. The transformation of life-altering wounds from my past. The power of God's Spirit at work in my inner being to gradually bring forth the beauty and the goodness of Jesus' life and character in me. It's clunky. It's not the total elimination of all the jerk and junk in me. Many of you know both of those are alive and well in me. And if you don't know, might I recommend a brief interview with Miss Julie? And you will know. But the jerk and junk factor occupy less rooms in the house of my being. And over the last 22 and a half years, the gospel has had much to say about the junk and the jerk in me that needs to be changed. Jesus declares his good news in our reading. Now, these are my words, but I'm just taking his words. It says, God gave Jesus authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all who want it that people would be in relationship with the true God, Jesus Christ, and his eternal kind of life would flow gradually in and out of them. That is the gospel. Sin's in there, forgiveness is in there, heaven's in there, but life right now is in there. The cross is where Jesus handled our sin and shame and guilt and thank God that when we trust him we are forgiven. But he loves us too much to just forgive us. The resurrection is where Jesus demonstrated that he is stronger than death so he converts death into life. And thank God that he's always at work to convert the scent and signs of death in us into life. The gospel is about Jesus through his spirit cultivating an eternal kind of life in us Right now. Sin and shame and guilt. Forgiven. Thoughts. Feelings. Relationships. Responses. Character. Habits. Bodies. Transformed. If something in you even faintly. Longs for this. If something in you is thinking, if this is what Christianity is about, I want some of that. That something in you craving it is the eternity God hardwired into you. And yet, you know this as well as I do. A gospel is routinely proclaimed that has little or nothing to do with eternal life Right now, a gospel is routinely being proclaimed that is intended to get people to get their act together so one day they can face a very angry, very vicious, very mad God and survive the encounter. That, I would argue, is not the gospel. Gospels being proclaimed that addresses our separation from God 
and our need for forgiveness, and it eases our post-death anxiety, and all of that is part of the gospel, but it says and offers little about life right now, today. And just to be clear as I finish, we're not talking about trying hard to act like Jesus. We're talking about the Holy Spirit actually cultivating Jesus' life and character in us. The Christian life is not about trying to do the right thing. It is about becoming the kind of person who wants to do the right thing and is able to do the right thing. So right things flow out of the rightness of who we are becoming as the Spirit cultivates the life and character of Jesus in us. So when 1,200 people leave a church, grace and gentleness flow because grace and gentleness are within. But here's the thing. We can listen to this. We can be bored by it. We can be intrigued by it. We can be curious about it. But when we all get right down to this, and this is going to come up over and over and over again, it comes down to a really simple thing. Do we want this? Or are we good with what we've got already? Do we want this? Do we want, if you will, the rooms of our lives to be occupied by God's presence and transforming power? If we want this, we have to literally invite God into this. Ask him to move into spaces within us where we, he has not been before. And bring about his change. Would you pray with me please? And in these few moments and in what remains in the service. Every piece of it. I'd like you to take it as perhaps. The only time this week passed. And maybe the only time in the week that is upcoming. When you will have a chance for 10 minutes to think about where is my life with God going? What rooms in the being of my soul does he want to get into? Where am I heading? What's God up to? How does he want to bring change in me? I want to urge you to be in a prayerful spot where you're thinking along those lines and you're processing the next 10 minutes from that perspective.